Welcome to SelfDiscoveryMedia.com, where we discover the communities that are making a difference in the lives of others. Our self-discovery is something we are all making on our life's journey. Here you will find the people that will be your guidance, that will be your inspiration, that will be there for you in support on your journey of life. Do enjoy. Our next show is... Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of An Author's Kiss right here in selfdiscoverymedia.com. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today is Bill Sorbert. We're going to be talking about his new book, The Girl with the Green Lipstick, a psychological thriller. I can't wait to actually read the book and know more about it, but this psychological thriller shows how one lonely man could easily fall for a sexy woman who he really doesn't know. Not only does she try to steal his heart, but she also tries to steal his money, run his business into the ground, and as her lover to hires her lover to kill him. It's based on a true story. You know, when we look at fiction, we always think, who got this, you know, who got this? But yes, it comes out of out of reality very often. Uh, imagine losing the love of your life to cancer at a time when your golden ears are not too far away. Then imagine entering the dating scene after a long layoff. Heartbroken and desperate for romance, you come upon an attractive woman on an online dating site and she takes an interest in you. Things move quickly. Everything about her is new and exciting, yet familiar enough to feel that you can let your guard down in her presence. You get married. <laughs> then things start to unravel. Okay, let's find out how they unravel. Welcome to the show, Bill. Well, thanks, Sarah. It's a real pleasure to be here with you and your viewers and listeners. And, uh, it's, uh, it is uh, fiction for sure, but it is based on uh, my story and uh, it, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I don't think, I certainly didn't realize uh, after my wife died of ovarian cancer at 59, um, just how bereft and mm. vulnerable I was. And uh, I wore my wedding band for 16 months because I still felt married. Yes, and yes. uh, when I finally took it off, uh, the wife of a neighbor said to me, look, you know, I spoke to Carol before she died. She clearly wants you to um, date and you're a healthy, uh, fit man um, and you know, interests in a nice house and, you know, whatever and whatever. And, and uh, you know, she told me you don't have to burn a candle in front of her picture every night. Mm -hmm. And uh get out there. And uh, my husband and I met online on match and uh, you should do that. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, okay. So the first uh, woman that I saw a profile that I was interested in turned out to be the girl with the green lipstick. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> was uh, it the green lipstick that drew you to her? <laughs> well, I'll tell you about that in a minute, but uh, the um, it turns out uh, we had a date and then, uh, she kind of played hard to get. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I started dating other gals cause I figured you've made the decision and just cause this one isn't interested. Doesn't mean that, uh, you know, there aren't other people that might be. Exactly. And a couple of months later, <clears throat> she contacted me and, and said that, uh, she'd lost her job and was really in, in need of a job. And she didn't know um, that I have a, a retail store operation. At the time, I had five UPS stores. But it turned out I needed a manager in one of those stores. Mm. 
Mm. And I said, look, I can give you a job. I can hire you and, and uh, pay you reasonably well uh, for Albuquerque, New Mexico. And uh, she was thrilled. And I happened to have another reason to speak to my attorney uh, about that same time. And I was telling her about this gal. And she said, oh, Bill, do yourself a favor. Don't date an employee. Mm -hmm. It is way too fraught with uh, bad possibilities and outcomes. And so, you know, as I say, I had started dating other people. And, and so uh, I just kept her as my manager and we didn't date, but I was around her all the time. And I found that if I tried to establish a relationship with somebody else, it was always that they weren't her. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, she could be cute and fun and uh, funny and sexy. And did I mention sexy? And, uh, <laughs> that a lure hook. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, at any rate, uh, I, uh, I finally just realized that I had fallen in love with her. And uh, I said, look, um, about 18 months after we had first, after I'd hired her, I said, look, why don't we try to have a relationship and run my store operation as a team and, you know, really just, you know, have a strong thing going here. Cause I think, you know, we're around each other all the time and we've been together, but now we're not. And, and it just seems to make sense. And she said, okay, well, if you buy me a carrot and a half Tiffany diamond engagement ring, uh, I'll marry you. So I did. <laughs> and, uh, I said, look, we're going to have to figure out how to um, get you moved into my house in Santa Fe, which is about 50 miles away from Albuquerque. And it's a very common, it's straight up and down Interstate 25, and people commute every day between those two cities. So it's not a big deal. Uh, and she said, I'm not, I'm not moving to Santa Fe. Three of your stores are down here in Albuquerque, and my son is going to UNM, and he works for you. And uh, so, uh, you know, we need to have a place here. I said, okay, I'll buy a house in Albuquerque, and we'll split our time between that house and my house in Santa Fe. And about uh, three weeks after I bought the house, she moved her lover into the house. Oh, Okay. So, so he was living there and he's a Mexican national who's a handyman who's about 20 years her junior. And uh, so at any rate, I thought, well, you know, I, I, I grew up a hard scrabble existence in Montana and you try to endure the lows so that you can get to the highs, so that you can get to the good stuff. And you look back on the bad stuff and you say, what was I worried about? Holy cow, look at all this, how good this is. Mm -hmm. And I have said before, and I'll say it again about my relationship with this woman, the highs and lows emotionally I experienced with her were the highest and lowest mm -hmm. I've ever experienced with any human being, man or woman. Mm -hmm. So you try to endure the lows yeah. because you crave the highs. Mm -hmm. The sugar high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, her father lots of, died. Lots of cavities here. <laughs> bank <Okay>. cavities. <laughs> the yeah. sugar highs, a lot of bank cavities. <laughs> exactly. Emotional cavities were, yeah. were getting created almost daily. Mm -hmm. 
So at any rate, um, the upshot of all of that was I, I, you know, her father had died. She was close to her dad. Uh, he'd had uh, serious dementia and uh, kind of went in and out for the better part of the time we had had our relationship. And that was really, that was hard on her. And uh, she was adopted and uh, uh, the, uh, the mom and dad had a son naturally about a year after she was brought home. And they adopted her when she was about six months old. So she hadn't had really a, an opportunity to bond with mm -hmm. a mother and a father. And there are uh, psychologists who will tell you, and psychiatrists for that matter, that that six month mm -hmm. uh, early age bonding is really critical yes. to how people develop emotionally later on in life. Um, but this woman was uh, clearly a narcissist. She's clearly on the sociopath, psychopath spectrum. Um, and uh, finally, she said, I said, look, we need to talk. If I made a mistake, I'll fix it. Um, you know, we can get divorced, we can do whatever. And she said, well, I'm not going to have sex with you unless we go to a, a relationship therapist, a, a marriage counselor. Mm -hmm. and I said, okay, fine. So I uh, looked online and found a counselor in Albuquerque so she wouldn't have to be inconvenienced to come to Santa Fe. And uh, when I told her about this woman, she said, well, who referred you to her? Now that's a trap. Mm -hmm. because if a friend of mine had referred her, then she's tainted and she's on my team. And can't, ah, possibly, okay. mm -hmm. can't possibly be objective about mm -hmm. this woman's situation. And I said, the truth. I said, I found her online. I don't know this woman from Adam. Mm -hmm. So at any rate, um, I uh, uh, called her and she said, well, the way I normally do this is uh, I meet with each of you individually first. And then if it makes sense, I, uh, I'll see you as a couple. And I said, uh, I said, fine. Um, you know, I said, uh, let me uh, do some, sorry about that. Um, so I went to the first session with this therapist and uh, I got, I was about 40 minutes into explaining why I was there. And she put her hand up and said, let me stop you. She said, you need to get rid of this woman. She's horrible. You need to speak to your attorney tomorrow and get divorced uh, because she will try to destroy you emotionally, financially, every possible way she can. And I, I, yeah. thought, oh. <laughs> I came here to fix the marriage. You're telling me to delete it. Yeah, yes. really. And uh, so I did. I called my attorney the next day and started the divorce proceedings. During this period, this woman that I was married to filed a sexual harassment suit against me and retaliation. Now, there's no legal basis whatsoever, at least in this state, for a spouse suing a spouse they work for, for sexual harassment. That doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, excuse me? But it me? doesn't prevent somebody from filing a suit. Right. Uh -huh. So at any rate, so I'm back to my attorney and I'm explaining what's going on and that I have filed uh, for divorce because my uh, corporate attorney is different from your my uh, divorce attorney. Mm -hmm. So I had two attorneys involved. At any rate, and she started asking me some questions and she said, you know something, Bill, something just doesn't add up about this gal. 
do you mind if I do a background check? I said, no, that's fine. You know, do whatever you think you need to do. So at any rate, about three or four days later, she called me and said, hmm, I think you need to come down to our office. Uh -oh. And I said, okay. And in their conference room, she had spread out on the conference room table about 300 pages of this woman's criminal history. Wow. And as well, well, she's a repeat offender felon. She's been in prison three, maybe four times. Um, she spent time in federal prison for mail fraud, uh, which, of course, sent me a wake-up call. And right. I started looking at my store bank accounts. Right. Yeah. There were a phenomenal number of charges to Amazon, um, which she had said she was doing to uh, aggregate our purchases and get better discounts for the stores. Mm. And my stores were losing money to the tune of about twenty or 25000 a month. And so I said, whatever we can do to save money, let's, let's do it. <laughs> so uh, I began to look into, uh, began to ask people in my stores, you know, does my wife come by and bring, you know, printer ink and cleaning supplies and stuff we sell to customers and whatever. And one of them said, wow, it's been about, gosh, a year and a half since she did that last. And I thought, uh-oh. So we made her, as part of the divorce agreement, produce uh, receipts from these Amazon purchases, which by the way, were in her personal account, not in a store account, which I had said, it's gotta be in a store account. Because mm -hmm. You get hit by a bus, I won't ever be able to get into that account. And I need to be able to produce receipts at least for tax purposes. Right. So she hemmed and hawed, dragged her feet, but I wasn't paying her any money until I got the receipts. And she desperately needed money, or so she said. And so um, she started producing them. And out of 500 receipts that she produced, about 10 of them were for store purchases and 490 wow. were for personal things. Uh, bra pads, she's very small on top. Um, uh, designer handbags, leather handbags, and uh, cream, very expensive cream. Mm. And uh, so at any rate, we uh, uh, finally got the divorce finalized and I forced she and her boyfriend out of the house and I sold the house almost immediately. And I said to the buyer, look, um, I, um, she took all the furniture, that's fine. But the only fixture she wanted was a ceiling fan and light in the master bedroom which she called shabby chic and I called early American bordello. It was this white filigree uh, that had these cut crystal teardrop uh, mm. baubles dangling from it. And uh, she had replaced it with a pretty garden variety light um, ceiling fan, which is fine. But I said, look, the boyfriend who's a handyman probably installed it. I don't know that he's a qualified electrician. Just make sure everything is fine. Just check it or I'll pay to have an electrician look at it if you want. So at any rate, this guy's pretty handy and he got on his ladder and took the base plate off and saw something up in there and thought it was a toy and pulled it out. And it turned out it was an incendiary device. And the only reason it didn't go off and burn the house down is because one side had come loose presumably when they were putting the base plate back on. And so she was trying uh, to sabotage. I mean, yeah. imagine if somebody had moved in there. Yeah. You know, with that. They had. I mean, they right. were these people were in the process of moving in. I just said, 
you know, check it. And so this was, was a, you know, like decided to a, stay there. a vendetta against you. She could have killed people. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's attempted murder at a minimum. Mm-hmm. So at any rate, um, and yeah, the police you know, my friend is the one who installed it. So, right. you know, you're getting a, the, the picture here of how mm. her antisocial behavior mm. began to kind of increase and accelerate uh, uh, antisocial behavior toward me and, and others. But at any rate, um, about six months later, I got a call from the wife of the person uh, who bought the house. And she said, you know, the weirdest thing happened. And I said, what's that? And she said, well, a box from Ulta.com, which is the high-end cosmetics place, arrived, and it's addressed to your ex-wife. Uh, what should I do with it? And I said, well, open it up. I want to make sure she's not using my credit cards mm-hmm. again uh, to buy personal items. Yeah, surely you'd block uh, her. Yeah, let's, let's just see what's in there. And so she opened it up and she said, well, there's blush and a makeup brush and hmm, frog green lipstick. And I said, what? She said, yeah, dark green lipstick. I said, give me the brand, give me the details. So I Googled it and it turns out this stuff goes on dark green and the pH in your lips turns it bright pink. Hmm. And so she was the girl with the green lipstick. <laughs> is the girl with the green yes hair. yes so more and more i discovered um her criminal activities and behavior and uh, she is currently uh, of high interest to several law enforcement agencies and we'll see we'll see if she goes back but she's at large she lives freely and laughs at the state of new mexico Wow. You know, I'm, I would like to say this is kind of a one-off story, but it isn't. Right. Right. You know, there are plenty of women out there that this almost becomes their profession. Yeah. Right? And this is how she lives. This is I mean, how this she is, lives. You know, you talk about is, the Black Widow, you know, she's the, you know, I don't know whether she aimed to kill you or not, but, you know, um, it, it is similar too because it's whether she divorces you or not she wants to take you for everything it, and had it not been for your you know your lawyers doing the background check you probably wouldn't have had a leg to stand on you would have had to given her this that etc and uh, so that kind of probably saved you uh, you oh, know their due diligence about it and yeah. i said to my divorce attorney who was not aware of this stuff that we had accumulated from my other attorney you need when we go to the hearing about being paid and getting our receipts, you need to tell the judge that she has done this before, that she's a repeat offender felon for embezzlement from previous employers. And she goes, oh, Bill, her lawyer will probably object and you know it won't be allowed. I said, you at least have to try. Mm-hmm. And she said, okay. So at any rate, when it was our turn to present our case, um, my lawyer stood up and said, I want to start by saying that we know she has... I've been in prison three times before for embezzlement, mail fraud, credit card theft. And her son, the guy who worked for me, absolutely gasped. He had never heard it before. Really? He, he was not aware. That's, see, that's the, um, that side of a narcissist, where they can be kind of so loving and say all the right thing to the people they don't want to upset. 
but when they don't give a damn about anyone else, they don't care what comes out exactly. so, or what they do to them. Right. So, oh, and, and I mean, he, I, I could just tell, I felt sorry for that poor guy because it was clear that she had, you know, so the first of her problems um, legally occurred before he was born. Then he was growing up and <coughs> um, she is addicted to prescription pain medicine and when they were living in Southern New Mexico, um, she took out um, loan shark loans against the value of their house. And when those got cold, called, um, she, they basically had to declare bankruptcy and the house was repossessed. Mm -hmm. And so the husband divorced her and uh, she uh, and took the kids back East. And then her next legal problems occurred um, so what she had told me about being a manager of one of my stores was she had managed a woman's clothing boutique in the Washington, D.C. area. Well, that's true. But she had also embezzled money from that <laughs> yeah. and spent six months. Where was the background check, Bill? Where was yeah. the background check? <laughs> right. So then she also said, and oh, by the way, uh, I was the uh, office manager for a Lutheran church in this town in southern New Mexico where they lived. And, uh, you know, one of my primary jobs was to count the collection baskets every Sunday and make the deposits. <laughs> and that's also true. But she had also... <laughs> Pocket. Pocket. <laughs> so the kindly pastor who'd been the pastor at this church for about 30 years knew his congregation fairly well. And he knew how generous they would be. Right. And in the absence on a regular basis and in the absence of some kind of catastrophic event that affected the entire community, his monthly, or sorry, his weekly baskets wouldn't be off 20%, 25%. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he started digging in and next thing you know, she's convicted of two felonies and uh, has to spend a year and a half in the state penitentiary. And uh, I believe, though I don't know for certain, although I put this in the book, that I know for sure she moved from this town in southern New Mexico to Albuquerque and started dating. And it turned out she'd married a guy in this town in southern New Mexico who was 15 years her junior. He was 36 and she was 51. And so she likes younger guys. Mm -hmm. And he had also had, I believe, a drug conviction. And of course, a felon is not supposed to consort with known right. felons much less marry them mm -hmm. but she got tired of him and she moved to albuquerque and i believe she forgot to tell the court and her probation officer oh. because there's a mugshot of her um and i think she spent 60 days in the state pen as a reminder of who makes the rules and if that's the case then i met her about two weeks after she got out and moved wow. back to albuquerque I mean, you know, it's also like, how did the kids not know uh, that she was in jail for 18 months? Where was she? What was the explanation that she gave them? Um, but, you know, I know narcissists and narcissists can twist any tale around that you will believe anything that they say because they're charming. They are charming. No, it's all about them. Everything yeah. oh. is about them, but they'll make it appear that it's all about you. To well, serve their own agenda, right? Third fault. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, so part of the research that I did 
uh, for myself, much less the book, because I wasn't even thinking about writing a book. Um, there, uh, I was recommended by the uh, marriage counselor to read a couple of books by an Englishman named H.G. Tudor, like the English kings. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's a narcissist. And as part of his therapy, he's written about 30 books on narcissism, uh, one of which is called Evil. Mm -hmm. And I mean to tell you, I got about half, and it's only about a 150 page book. Uh, they all are, they're fairly short, but I got about halfway through this book and I was just shaking. Yeah. I couldn't believe what he was describing was exactly what mm -hmm. I had lived through. And uh, so at any rate, I, uh, uh, then there's actually a, a Canadian named uh, Robert Hare who teaches, I think they're in British Columbia. And uh, he would speak with clinicians about his patients who were on the sociopath psychopath spectrum, describing behaviors and why he felt they were psychopaths. And uh, the other clinician would say, well, I also have a patient that I think is a psychopath and they exhibit some of the behaviors of your client and not others, and then some others that your patient does not exhibit. Mm -hmm. And what they realized is they don't have a scale for describing mm -hmm. where uh, people who are on the sociopath, psychopath spectrum fall in order to be able to A, be most effective in treatment and also um, you know, basically be able to describe to other clinicians uh, kind of you know, where they think their patient is and seek advice and counsel and all the things that you would do if you were able to be more precise about kind of where your patient uh, fell. And uh, that was a real eye-opener. And I'm not a clinician, so I won't claim to uh, be able to make a diagnosis. But from my amateur point of view, I would say that when I met her, she was pretty squarely in the sociopath spectrum and by the time we got divorced, she was bordering in the psychopath spectrum. And well, when we're, you know, uh, the potential fire, yes, that's where she stepped over to that. I did a, a three-part um, uh, trilogy show on narcissism, it's sociopath, psychopath, and narcissistic parents. And then, you know, the third show was breaking down the different levels, the scales of narcissism. Um, you know, I... I had the misfortune of being married to one, but he wasn't on a full scale spectrum, but it was there. And we have to realize that narcissists is very much to do sometimes genetically, but also to do with their upbringing. If they're not taught uh, empathy, if they're not taught compassion or caring, if they're not shown that. Um, and in that first few years of development, they're still in that me, myself and I, because a baby will cry when they need something. A kid will have a tantrum because they don't know how to express themselves. And if you don't show the empathy and the kindness and teach them how to be kind to others, then it's always going to be about them. And that right. escalates as they go. And they learn to manipulate. They're master manipulators. Oh, Because absolutely. they're so incredibly charming. It doesn't matter what they do. They can make you feel guilty for finding them guilty. You know? And it's, oh, for sure. You know, they're really artists at it. And... The, you know, the sociopath and psychopath, I mean, they're the ones that then step over into harming people, um, you know, and intend to harm. And the thing we have to understand is that a lot of the time, 
there's zero of a feeling for anyone else. Oh. I mean, you know, you right. had somebody... Not even for her son. Right. I mean, I have right. heard her say very hurtful things mm -hmm. to her son. Uh-huh. And um, I feel sorry, as I say, I feel sorry for that poor guy. Yeah. Um, they live together. They're living together now. And uh, he's in his early 20s, mid 20s. And his best uh, thing to do is get, go, leave. <laughs> so another book <laughs> by, by Tudor <laughs> is called Zero Contact. Mm -hmm. And basically what he said was, in order to be free of these, this person, you have to have no contact right. whatsoever. Yeah. Not even, not with, not with a, a child of theirs, not right. with property that they own, yeah. nothing. Just, just cut it loose. Um, the other thing that was frightening from the hair book is that uh, he said, look, a tiny, tiny fraction of the population is serial killers mm -hmm. or psychopaths. Um, but that's not who we're talking about. Right. He said, it turns out there are, even if it's a fraction of 1% of the population, that's millions of yes. people. Yes. They're out there and they look like us and mm -hmm. they talk like us and they act like us, but they're not like us. Well, you and had somebody very famous in America that was the leader that is a poster child for narcissism. Yeah. Right. Well, we know who that is. But. Yes. And. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is the narcissist on a full scale of a hundred, but, but the sociopath and psychopath, um, the lack of empathy for other people, where the, the constant, he keeps tabs on everybody that upset him or disagreed with him, and he's going to get out to get them. That is the psychopathic or sociopathic tendencies that are there whether well, the antisocial behavior yeah and whether it's actually you know they do something about it or somebody it, they incite someone to do something about it january right. 6th um it comes about through that manipulation where other people want to please them just want to to get praised by them and won't go do anything for them right and now right. when you look at a lot of the bad leaders out there or the people that um you know that have the big gangs or the, you know the people that are leading people down the garden path the 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 leader will be the narcissist uh, it's their agenda they don't care right. who pays the price for it it's their agenda right but they they're are very so, charismatic oh i mean they're incredible so and, yes and, and, and they can make you them. feel like I need you. You are special. You are this and that. I can't do without you. You're dead. Okay, next. I need you. You know, and that well, is how they the operate. Is you're, and from their perspective, you're darn lucky to have them. Let me uh, interrupt yes. you. Yes. Who went out has to come back. I'll okay, right back. I will pause for a second. It was going to happen at some point, and she was crying at the door. And... No, no, if, if the doggy has to come in. No problems <laughs> whatsoever. If it wants to make a comment, it can. That's fine with us. Well, um, and and she and I bonded so much when uh, Carol had cancer, mm. um, and she was actually on the foot of the bed when Carol died. Yes. Um, oh, and then 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 that a dog knows, and then it's. It's kind of carrying the love of your wife over to you for you. So yeah. it's not just the love from the dog. It's I'm, I'm bringing your love's wife to you as well. So yes, yeah. a, a dog, yeah. when they lose somebody, um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. They're incredible creatures. And, and, you know, if only we could find humans like them. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I've seen the shirt that says, I really aspire to be the person my dog thinks I am. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> 
Now, how was the dog behaving towards our green lipstick lady? Well, it was funny. She also had a dog and who, who was tiny. And that dog would, would get on the bed and ninja jump and attack my dog. And you see a copied <laughs> behavior. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was incredible to me. And I'd say, you've got to get your dog to stop that. Yeah. And she'd say, if she doesn't like somebody, you'll, she knows, you know, they'll know it. So and what she was saying is that she didn't like anything, but you were just a means to an end. And she'll right. pour on the charm to get it, right? Oh. Move the lover into the new house. Thanks for the house. My lover and I are enjoying it. I mean, right. it really was a red flag, Bill. <laughs> <You know? laughs> she really did have you under her, her sexy well, thumb. So, <laughs> you know, as I say, the, um, you know, you, you, you try to endure that um, so that you can get back to no, the good. To the high. To the high, yeah. To the high. Yeah. And, yeah. And, be, and one thing one of my uh, analysts uh, told me or suggested is that the randomness of their kindness, of their reaching out to yeah. you, is what makes it addictive. Yes. Because you don't know when it's going to occur. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you almost become the puppy dog that's waiting for the master to give you a pat on the head, right? Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, um, I would bend myself into a complete pretzel trying to be what he wanted me to be. And, the, you know, eventually I realized what was it costing me? Everything I was. Right. I completely lost me, lost the entire identity of me and utterly miserable and afraid. No, not of the physical violence, but uh, the piranha, I call it the piranha, yeah. when they go after you, it's right. like they, you know, they're like a piranha and they'll suck on you all your energy until you are depleted. And they look at you, what's wrong with you? And remember nothing. Take oh, ownership I mean, of nothing. I didn't exactly. do anything. It wasn't me. Even if you filmed them, that's not me. Fake so, news. <laughs> when I got divorced from my um, first wife, the mother of my daughter, uh, I decided I had been exhibiting some behaviors I wasn't very proud of, mm -hmm. and um, I wanted to understand that and move through that. And so I uh, found a guy. He had retired from Phoenix House in New York, which is the private drug rehabilitation center. Huge place down in Soho. Uh, not quite that far, but it's down that way. At any rate... Um, he had retired and was going to private practice. And he had been the uh, director of research at Phoenix House. And the director of research gets the hardest cases mm. because the typical therapies aren't working on Right. Them. So at any rate, I showed up at his apartment and said, so doc, how does this work? And he said, well, I'll, uh, we'll meet for three sessions and then I'll evaluate whether or not I'm going to work with you. And I thought, well, that's damn cheeky of you. Mm -hmm. You know, here you are just starting your practice up. I've got good insurance and other financial means. You know, I'm, I'm a gem of a client. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, what do you have to decide? So at any rate, um, we got done with the third session. And I said, so what do you think, Doc? And he looked at me and he said, you have the most limited range of emotional response of anyone I've ever met. I was like, holy cow, this right. is a guy who's met a lot of drug addicts. Yeah, exactly. Who, who, who he's been able to reach, you know, to get through to. And, and, I'm, and he said, I call you medium cool. And I can imagine a file in his file cabinet that said William Saubert, a.k.a. medium cool. 
And uh, he said, nothing really gets to you. You don't, you know, you don't get too mm-hmm. high. You don't get too low. You, you know how other people behave and you laugh when it's appropriate, but you don't really feel that. Mm-hmm. And I worked with him for three and a half years. And uh, one day near the end of our working together, I was driving down Fifth Avenue in New York to get to my apartment and a woman cut me off. And all of a sudden, I just, <laughs> I said, that wasn't me. That was gold. delicious. I'll have, another, I'll have another helping of that. So uh, I told him about it in our next session. He said, yeah, we're, we're getting close to the end here in terms of what we need to be doing. But his philosophy was the only thing we owe to ourselves is complete honesty. Yes. And he said, you know, if you're rationalizing things away, then you're not being completely honest. No. And if you or engaged or engaged with self. Yeah. So what was happening with my relationship with the woman I married, the girl with the green lipstick, was I was I was rationalizing things away. Yeah. I was just not being completely honest with myself. And it was funny because I started the session with this marriage counselor. She said, have you ever been in therapy before? And I said, well, yeah, for three and a half years, I worked with this guy. And, and I felt the hair on the back of my neck kind of stand up a little bit when I said, you know, his philosophy is we have to be completely honest with ourselves. And I, I got that. I kind of had a little reminder there like, hmm, are you being <laughs> the past couple of years with this woman? Uh, you haven't been right. completely honest with yourself, but I, you know, I, okay, well, you know, at any rate. And so then of course, when she said what she said, it just really opened up my eyes yeah. to the fact that I had not been right. completely honest with myself about what was happening and what was going on and what I needed to do about it. Uh, I didn't realize at the time so, I mean, there are really two elements to this. One is her emotional abuse of me. I mean, that was terrible. But the other that I didn't realize until we started this divorce proceeding and, and fighting the sexual harassment suit was the financial abuse. I mean, mm-hmm. I had no idea how much she had been just literally robbing me. Yeah. Uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, the, uh, you know, again, um, you know, people say to you, uh, gosh, Bill, you know, you're, you're successful, you're smart. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you let you... this happen? Yes. How did this happen? Yeah. But I'll tell you something. I tell my story to people and three out of 10 will say, oh my God, that happened to my daughter or yes. it happened to my son-in-law or it happened to my brother or it happened to this guy I worked with. I mean, it is remarkable. Um, and oddly, um, although I think women, uh, like you say, are more kind of black widowish, my understanding is that it is men generally who are more prone to exhibit these behaviors. Well, and, you know, the, the thing, you know, from my take on it, it is this, is that being a person that was medium cool and not used to actually expressing yourself emotionally Right. You know, like even if you did get mad now and again, and I always say to people, our emotions are there for a reason. They're an indication of how we feel. Spend them, but move on. Don't become emotional about your emotion. 
right? And But you've got to recognize the emotion and spend it, whatever it is, happy, sad, glad, whatever it is, spend it. Um, if you were a person that really kind of didn't live in those emotions, didn't spend it, just, you know, oh, it is what it is, right? And you went down that way. All of a sudden, somebody came with, as you opened up with, the sexy drug and made you feel the bee's knees, right? And uh, took you to a high emotion that you've never known before. She became an addiction. And you would take oh. any abuse, any abuse from her, not even look at it as abuse, right? No, no, la, 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 no, that's not happening. That's not happening because right. you want to get back to that addiction, all right? Because you're not used to those emotions. Now, we do say to people, we want you to ride the wave of emotions, you know, not on a linear line, like a wave, you know, be in and out of those emotions. We want you to have an etheric motion where it feels more like the hands expanding and embracing rather than the pitch high, which then always guarantees a deep low. Right. And, and those are the kind of happy spaces that we want you to get to where you can ride that wave of joy. And when you come down, it's into a nice feeling, but not a, a deep thing. Why do we see so much addiction? Because it is that ultimate high. What's the big price? the very big low what happens when you're in the low you beat yourself up you question yourself you you become insecure or, or you make you rationalize. excuses you rationalize, yeah, you rationalize you know, and you make excuses for it all right because you I'm, want to get uh, back reminded, to that high <laughs> i'm reminded of uh, a scene in the big chill the movie the big chill and kevin klein character and the jeff goldblum character are discussing what is the most important contributor to the human condition and Klein says, that's easy, sex. Mm -hmm. And Goldblum says, no, it's rationalization. And Klein said, no, you're nuts. It's sex. And the Goldblum character says, really? Have you ever gone a week without a rationalization? <laughs> and, you know, okay. According to this therapist I originally worked with, his name is George Delian. Uh, he's still alive. He's still teaching and writing. He's in, I think he's almost 90. Mm -hmm. uh, but at any rate, um, you know, according to him, no rationalization is okay. Uh, but it's, it, it is hard to, as a human, uh, go without any. Uh, but, yeah, but it's a matter it's, of... Don't be um, too rational over your rationalization. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if that's your way of coping with the pain, yeah. Yeah. Uh, then, you, then you rationalize. You right. rationalize all the time. Yes. And you, I mean, you don't even catch yourself doing it. No, no, it becomes a pattern. Right. The other thing that I'll say, and not in my defense, but in terms of just uh, where I was emotionally when I met this woman, um, you know, Carol died of ovarian cancer. And from diagnosis to when she died was about three and a half years. And uh, we, uh, uh, toward the end, uh, they had to put in what's called a GI ventilation and that's because her small intestine had blockages on it and she kept vomiting. And if it doesn't go down, it has to come up and that's unpleasant. Right. So they put in this essentially hole in your stomach um, because even if you don't eat anything, mm -hmm. your body will process almost two liters of fluid a day. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot to have that can't go anywhere other than to throw it up. So uh, when they do that, you essentially starve to death mm. uh, because you're not getting any nutrition absorbed in the small intestine. And uh, so when we spoke with the uh, 
palliative nurse, palliative care nurse, and said, you know, okay, what's the story? She said, well, you live anywhere from two weeks to two months, and it depends on how strong your internal organs are today, the day they put in the, the gastrointestinal ventilation line. And Carol made it five and a half weeks. Mm. And toward the end, um, what happens when you starve to death is you babble all the time, you twitch, yeah. uh, your brain can't cause your it's really muscles. cruel, actually, isn't it? It's Pardon? really cr- we wouldn't do that with an animal. It's really, really cruel. Yeah, you know? no, it's terrible. Yeah. And uh, but nonetheless, I was her primary caregiver, and and we're sleeping in the same bed we always slept in. I had to put up uh, bed rails so she wouldn't pitch herself out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so I said to the uh, uh, palliative care doctor, I said, "Is there anything I can do?" And she said, yeah, grind up between two spoons, a lorazepam tablet, uh, which is an anti-anxiety drug, and then put some liquid morphine and make a slurry out of it and then put it on the inside of her uh, cheek. Mm-hmm. That's where the muci will absorb it. And she'll calm down and she should be able to sleep and not twitch and not babble and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So... One night she was uh, uh, twitching and, and so I got up and made the slurry and, and put it on her, the inside of her cheek and she fell asleep and I fell asleep and about 4.45 the next morning, uh, she started twitching and again and I'm thinking, oh brother, just give me 15 minutes more. Mm-hmm. And uh, she threw her arm across my chest and put her head on my shoulder. So I hugged her and held her there for a couple of minutes. And then she rolled over and I'm still thinking about having to make this slurry and I'm listening for her breathing. And I turned on the light and she had died. Mm-hmm. She hugged me to say yeah. goodbye yeah. and then died. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to tell you, uh, you know, you wander around the house uh, with the dog there and the dog's kind of gets this accusatory look on her face. Like, where is she? What did right. you do? Yeah. You know, <laughs> at least I imagined that. Yeah. And, and maybe she was saying that. Who knows? But, uh, and then you open a drawer or you, mm-hmm. and you turn into a weeping bowl of mush. Mm-hmm. And it's that uh, human mm-hmm. who was finally persuaded that I'd healed enough yeah. to be able to get into a relationship or at least attempt a relationship. And, you know, I found an axe murderer. I mean, not right. exactly. yeah. yes. but you know, I mean, but a you know what? What's, manipulator, right? But what's and, the game that they uh, they play? It, you know, in, in one thing in the big chill that he was right, sex it is yeah. a huge thing, and you can rationalize the sex because yeah. how does she hook you in? She was sexy. She Absolutely. knew exactly how to play on it, and they know your weak thing, right? And and they know how to play on that. Um. And it's if they always manage to talk their way around whatever they're meant to be guilty for and make you feel guilty for asking or pointing things out. So that you know, you're up against a master manipulator that doesn't even know they're master manipulators because it's just who they are. Well, and they, you know, you think, well, maybe she planned out getting a house out of me, but I don't think so. I think she just stumbled into it. Right. 
Yeah. And I think oh, she just Oh, no, this plan's going to call. I can ask for this and I can ask for that and I can move my lover in. And it's like, I've got a good sucker here, right? And well, not only did I buy a very nice house, I put another $100,000 worth of renovations in it. Right. And new furniture and, you know. I hope you got that sh- back with, when you sold it and you didn't give anything to her. Did, oh, she, no, did she get any money out of the marriage? Oh, yeah, she did. It's, you know, marriage is a contract. And so when you break a contract, yeah, but, you know, there's always financial. Fraud. <laughs> but the point is, I, that's fine. I mean, I sure, would I like to have had the money back? Yes. But the bottom line is I don't need it. And um, frankly, I do want her to pay for her criminal behavior and I want her sent to prison. Right. And as I say, there are law enforcement agencies that are in, looking into her activities Um, my attorney put together at my, I paid her, um, 568 pages of evidence of this woman's criminal behavior of, of which 500 of those are those Amazon charges. Right. And, uh, the detective that's working on it told me, holy cow, these are class B felonies, Mm -hmm. class B felonies each have a minimum of five years prison time. Well, you know, the, the problem is, is she's probably got some other sucker, you know, on her, you know, on her hooks at the present moment, you know. Uh, Wouldn't surprise um, me. No, no. Um, and the trouble is, even if she went to jail, yes, it stops some, you know, somebody else becoming a victim of her. Um, but it also, there is no cure for someone. You know, one of the problems with narcissism, where an alcoholic can say, I'm an alcoholic, I own it and I want to get better. And narcissist, what are you talking about? It's not me, it's you. Right. And they right. won't take ownership of it because they seriously, sincerely believe they've done nothing wrong. They're the victim. Exactly. They're the one that's been victimized, not yes. you. Yes. And they keep you off balance. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I would tell people, you know, uh, she blew up our relationship again this morning, mm-hmm. you know, to go three days and it was wonderful. And then she uh, accused me of something terrible. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, <laughs> never in a million years would I be the guy to do that. Right. Here I am in defending myself instead yeah. of saying, you're nuts. Yeah. So you're the one who's, who's behaving like that, not right. me. Yeah, but we go on the defense first. And that's right. one of the problems, right? Um, you know, you're accusing me of something I haven't do. I have to go into defense and saying, well, what's your agenda? Why are you accusing me? Right. 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 What, so, what is it that, that you get out of this? Yeah. Because you're saying I'm the one doing something. Yeah. And I'll tell you, that's another book by this guy, Tudor. He, he's written a bunch, but it's called Fuel. And what they get out of that kind of behavior mm-hmm. fuels them. Yes. Sugar high, as I call it. Yes. Yeah. They get the a kick out is, of it. I mean, in addition to being addicted to prescription pain medicine, mm-hmm. um, she likes criminal behavior because she's it's, tiptoeing right on the edge. Yeah, it's exhilarating. And, it, and, and if she doesn't get caught, yeah. and even if she does, I mean, bear in mind, when she defrauded the church in southern New Mexico, she was convicted of two five-year felonies, class B felonies, okay? She should have spent seven and a half years in prison. And she was a repeat offender by that time. She right. had a felony in Virginia, uh, and then she'd had a federal felony in mail fraud. So that's that's two previous. 
And do you know that she used her little girl voice mm -hmm. and got the judge to give her probation after a year and a half? And so here she spends a year and a half in prison, not seven and a half. And uh, it's because she poured the charm on the judge. They know how to do it. And they know how and, to do it. You know, now exactly. I, I can recognize and, and, a narcissist, you know, in, a lot better now. But back, you know, when I in my 20s, I just thought, oh, so charming, this and that. Oh, no, they didn't mean it. Right? They right. didn't mean it. And, That's a rationalization. Or, or I'm, I'm reading it the wrong way. Right. All right. And I know no, they couldn't possibly do this to me if they love me. It must be a mistake. Right. And, and they say they love yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, periodically demonstrated in some way. And you think, yeah, yeah, right. That this is the part. Well, I and, always say that if they're, you know, if they've drunk a lot, that's when you really see their true colors. Right. And I, I realized you don't even like me. Never mind. Love me. In fact, you loathe me. What the hell no. are you doing with me? Because I haven't got any money for you. And, you know, and it, I don't think he could even answer that question himself. It was all image, yeah. you know, it's oh, all yeah. image. And so, um, but it was eventually me that found the courage to say, ah, ah, no more. But it took a long time for me to yeah. rediscover myself. For sure. And so, you know, as I say, when I when I tell people about what's happened to me and, the, and three out of 10 say, oh, my God, yeah. you know, I know... What amazes me is some of those relationships have gone on 10, 12, 15 years. Mine were 20 years. <laughs> yes. I mean, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, mean, well, I had children. And so, you know, for me, I it was like, oh, only, you know, the children, you know. We were only, yeah, thank God she and I didn't have any kids. Yes. Um, but um, it's, so it's funny, my accountant, when she sends me my, uh, it's called an organizer to fill out for all my information for my tax return. It has a question on it. And it said, did your marital status change during the year? Well, in 2018, I was single at the beginning of the year and I was single at the end of the year. <laughs> but there isn't a question that says, did your marital status change twice during the year? Because <laughs> yeah. I had gotten both married and divorced that year. So, How long were you actually married for? Seven months. Right. Well, I mean, you know, thank God you saw the light. You know, before oh, I, it got, you know, somebody grabbed me by the lapels and yeah, shook me. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I mean, uh, there are so many people that literally will walk away with nothing or yeah. they will make them out to be the villain and the courts award them everything. You know, I mean, you were lucky to get away when you did. Yeah. And and with as little financial damage right. and uh, emotional damage. And, you know, the amazing part about writing the book is. Um, First of all, she had told me some things. And once you realize that mm. you're dealing with a narcissist on the sociopath, psychopath spectrum, that gives you a frame to hang things on. Right. And so she had told me at one point that when she was in high school, the father, uh, who was divorced from the mom, of her first serious boyfriend, and I assume she meant the first boy she ever had sex with, mm -hmm. um, propositioned her. And now I don't know that she took him up on it or charged him money or whatever else, right. but a sociopath narcissist would do that. Yeah. Because they tend to be promiscuous or sadistic or both. Yeah. And so I took a little bit of something she had told me and blew it up. Right. And turned it into who she is.
yeah. or who I fictionally would describe her as. Right. So the and, book is a, uh, a thrillerized version right. of, of what happened to you, right? Right. Right. But the and, bottom line uh, is it's what happened to you. Yeah. And, you know, so things like finding an incendiary device in a yeah. ceiling fan. Yeah. Holy cow. And, you know, I would tell people about this and I was sitting at a restaurant uh, near where I live and, and uh, people that I know happened to be there. We were sitting at the bar and we were chatting and, and I was telling them about this because people would say to me, hey, I, got, I heard you got married. Uh, when are we going to meet your wife? <laughs> and I'd say, well, we ended up getting divorced. Really? How long were you married? Seven months. That's, there's a story in there. Right, exactly. So I would start telling, uh, I started telling this gal and it turns out she's a published author and her first book mm -hmm. sold over 500,000 copies, which I didn't know. And she said, oh my God, Bill, you've got this a book. Is, yeah, exactly. She said, send me an outline, like 20 pages and just tell me what you think you would write about. And I did. And she got back to me and said, oh, for sure. You need to, you need to write this. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so at any rate, it was cathartic to do yes, it. Yes, yes. Um, but it's also a wonderful warning sign. You know, this is, you know, especially, let's face it, middle-aged men, you're a great target, especially if you've had a loss because they want to replace that loss because they know you've had a loss. So you're looking for that love that you've lost, whether it's a divorce or widowed. Um, and they are, they're, they're masters at this, you know, it is just mm -hmm. something that's absolutely inbred in them. And it's, you know, how to register the warning signals. Now, today, everybody's looking for love. Everybody's looking for a partnership, especially as you get older. You know, it may be the sex or it may just be the companionship, somebody to share your life with. Right. Um, and then somebody will come along and they'll say all the right things. But I know I've got to a thing where I'm looking for all the signals first, you know, well, <laughs> because so, you be, unfortunately so, you do become distrustful, you know. Yeah, and, and I, so I'll say a couple of things. One is I'm off online dating. I'm never going to go do that again. <laughs> right. But I don't mean to say it's not for other no, people. But no, I've known people have had successes, right? Yeah. I have, you know what, I started keeping tabs when people tell me we met and married off match. And I got up to about a dozen couples who were mm -hmm. quite happily yeah. married, who had met on online. And so just because it's not for me doesn't mean it's not right. for other people. Right. But, but other it's, hand, it's also due diligence too, right? Well, and so there's a gal in the community that I live in who is a very well-renowned matchmaker. Mm -hmm. And so I have engaged her services and she's superb. Right. And has introduced me to some very interesting, high quality, wonderful women. Right. Some of whom haven't wanted to move ahead with me. Some of whom I haven't wanted to move ahead right. with. But nonetheless, right. she does all the vetting. And, and that's, that's something, unfortunately, you know, it's, we watch the movies and how easy it is to fall in love. And that is not the reality today. And the reality today on several levels, one, are they a con artist? You know, are they, is there an agenda there, you know, that is beyond what they're telling you, you know, mouth says one thing, actions say another. The other thing is, are they bringing their baggage with, with them, you know, and have they actually worked through that baggage first? And what they're doing is really bringing an energy to you that is really honest and true and not, you know, um, so many people, especially out of divorce, immediately go back into another relationship. You need that time to 
decompress from the divorce, rediscover yourself, do the healing. And where, you know, the love you attract is the love who you are and the love of self. And if you don't feel that security and love of self, you're not going to attract those people. So we've got to realize there has to be some work to do ourselves. We also have to pay attention to the hairs on the back of the neck. And we've got to ask the questions because we are living in a society today where there is so much illusion, so much fake news, so much, um, you know, uh, false advertising, <laughs> is that we really do have to ask the questions and not take offense if somebody is asking. If you're on a date and you're asking these questions, don't take offense. You're just right. doing your due diligence. You just want to know that this is real. And if that person is hesitant in answering or answers too smoothly, you know, it's like, follow your instincts. What do your instincts say? Not always what your mind says, the rationale, but what does your instinct say? Because sometimes those instincts are screaming at you, but we rationalize them and dismiss right. them, right? So. Well, no, and, and to uh, George Deleon's point, just be honest with yourself yes. and, and you'll find a true path. You may not be happy with that mm -hmm. path and you'll seek other paths that will make you happy. But if you're honest with yourself, you will, you'll, you'll find a clear, honest path. Yeah. The one that you can live with. Right. And uh, I mean, basically what George said was, if you ask yourself why you rationalized or did something that wasn't true to yourself and you don't like that, he said, if you do that enough times, you'll change your behavior. The old and rubber band thing, right? You know, yeah, you don't like, you don't like it, zap. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you'll, you'll, you will begin to behave in ways that you can be honest about, and that will make you happier and truer. And, uh, you know, when you, when you come to a point in your life where you ignore that or forget it or overlook it or rationalize it, um, all sorts of bad things can happen if somebody is uh, tuned in. Mm -hmm. and look, I'm a yeah. caring, kind of carefree, generous guy generally. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think she dialed into that. Yeah. And uh, so it was, uh, uh, you know, that, that's why uh, I am pleased to have somebody helping me who I can talk to, yeah. who, you know, can say, I don't think this gal's right for you, but this person is, and here's why I think so. Mm -hmm. And then you meet them and, you know, you begin to explore and see. If you feel there's more of a, a level playing field, right? Well, yeah. And, and maybe even put your thumb on the scale a smidge just yeah. so, because, you know, your team is, has got two players who are looking, you know, the other right. team doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But on the other hand, I don't mean that in a, a manipulative way. I mean it in a care, careful way. Yeah, I mean, we've got to have either, you know, professionals or, or friends that we can go, look, I've met this person, da, 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 da. I really like that. I mean, my, you know, my son is turning 37 on Sunday and, you know, he's, he's in a new relationship, but that relationship is she's been divorced and she has a seven-year-old. He's just come out of a six-year relationship. He's always in long relationships, six years, five years, eight years. Um, and, you know, but it's navigating a totally new path. And both of them are kind of bringing you know, some past red flags or, yeah, and, and it's a totally different demographic and there's going to be times you trip up. But sure. the, the thing is, talk about it. Talk about it. And if your person 
that you are, are interested in is not willing to talk about it, jumps and avoids all around it, you know it's a red flag, whether the narcissist player or just somebody who hasn't got hold of their emotional state yet, right? And it's, right. You're, you're always going to have something that's going to, you know, be, be your trigger. Um, you know, I'm sorry, when you do that, it kind of triggers that feeling. I know you don't mean it, but can you just try and avoid doing that, please? Well, no? and so I would, I want to say two things. One is, there was a song by a band called 10CC, and there's a line that says, communication is the problem to the answer. Mm -hmm. And so to your point, you know, I think if we communicate, yes. uh, then regardless of what the problem is, we're yes. going to be able to sort it out. Right. We may not be together, but at least we've got it sorted. Yes. Um, yes. You know, and, and that's what I was saying. But the thing that, that really began to kind of um, eat at me a little bit is when uh, this woman would uh, say things to me. And I finally said, you know what? When you say that, that hurts my feelings. Because yeah. I'm not that kind of guy. Right. And it, that just didn't even register. You know, no. I mean, I, I'm also, I'm just, I'm completely kind of in, in awe of the fact that you were honest enough to say to the people who bought your house, look, you know, the person who put in the fan may not have put it in right. Just for safety, check it out. I'll check it out for you. You know, uh, how many people was it? Oh, God, I thank God I've sold the house, got rid of that. Just move on. Right. There's a fan there and, and just ignore it. And the fact that you kind of were considerate enough to even, you know, yeah, you know, let's just check it out. And then thank God you did. I oh. mean, all right, it wasn't properly plugged in, but who's to say something else wouldn't have happened there or what else would have happened? Well, and the fact that she would go to that extent, you know, uh, knowing that you've sold it and moved out. She didn't know that. Oh, she didn't know that. Okay, no, so, she, the, she so basically this was, you've done this to me, out, right? So um, I'm going to get I, you. She didn't know that I wasn't necessarily going to move in there. Ah, so she thought she's going to get you. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Attempted murder. Attempted murder. You can add well, that to the list. Yeah. yeah right. right. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, and, and just silly things like kicking a, a toilet off its uh, seal. So when these people, when I came into the house the first time after she and her boyfriend had moved out, uh, it was making this ominous gurgling sound in, in the second bathroom. And I looked and, you know, she had just clearly put her back against the wall and just kicked the thing off its seal. Vindictiveness. Yeah. Yeah. But she didn't get her way. Kind of she didn't Pardon? get her way. She didn't get her way. No. So she was going to have not. a tantrum. How dare you do this to me? Right. I'm going to tweet it. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, that they can't uh, stand anybody getting what they consider one up on them or catching them out because, oh, you know, they. in any way. Yeah, exactly. They cannot stand. Not win, at all. And it doesn't lost. matter. You can prove, look, you, you're a criminal. No, I'm not. You know, I'm the victim right. here. This is, they're always twisted around because in their twisted mind, that's all they can see. They, right. they can't take account. Don't ask them to, if you send them to jail for a hundred years, there still will be no accountability. They'll just learn to manipulate everybody in jail. Oh, and they will get angrier and angrier yeah. toward you. Yes. And uh, you're the one who victimized them. And, uh, you know, it's not, why did you do this to me? It's you did this to yourself. Yes. And I happen to be the one you did it to. Well, this you is I mean? this is why you see people suddenly, you know, um, they're in a new relationship. The the boyfriend or husband may be even in jail for something or out of the picture. And all of a sudden there's an assassination. 
if I can't have you, nobody else can. Right. right? Or how dare you be happy with someone else? Right. Uh, and that retaliation. And it's they really and utterly do feel justified. I don't think she would uh, attempt that far? to do well directly. Directly, I think she would manipulate someone else. Uh, you, well, that's still, that. they, no, they don't do it themselves. They have right. somebody else do it. Right. Because then they can actually say, no, I didn't do it. I, and the right. fact they've ordered someone else to do it or paid someone else to do it is oh, yes. neither here nor there. But so I didn't do it. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't no, me. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. for sure. And in their mind, and it isn't. They're not guilty. Yep. <laughs> so you're not and, dealing uh, with a rational mind. Well, you know, and, and uh, the thing that people would say is, oh, she must be very smart. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is, I don't know how smart she is. I mean, she has a college degree and all that fun stuff, but she's clever and manipulative. Right. Yeah. And so as an example, not remembering that the default delivery address on her Alta account <coughs> was the house in Albuquerque. And all of a sudden she orders something yeah. and not only does it have the uh, delivery address and the green lipstick in it, it had the address where she is living. Mm -hmm. So she tells us by her own hand yeah. where she is. Right. Which of course makes things a hell of a lot easier for the people who are looking for her. Right. Yeah. I hope her son manages to get away from her and not get caught up in her web because she'll use him too. Oh. And, you know, next thing you know, he's got a criminal record and, you know, he's just been trying to please mum, you know, just love me mum. And, uh, you know, you see that time and time again, how they're drawn into the web. So I hope he sees it and gets out of there. And yeah, I hope she's caught because she will do this again and again oh, and again. And probably is doing it. And again. probably is. Yeah. And, exactly. you know, the, uh, the, 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 the part of this, she has two children and uh, the daughter uh, will hang up on them. Good for and her. I'd say, and I'd say, why weren't you just chatting with your daughter? Yeah, yeah she got busy. Mm. And then uh, you realize she didn't get busy. She hung out. Right. She didn't want to talk to you. No, she knew who she was. And the son lives with her. Well, you then now. you what, then or, or do you know for well, a fact that now now? So uh, I mean, if the police are looking for her and you know where she is, why aren't you telling well, them? Somebody has to issue an arrest warrant. Right. And now you need to understand Albuquerque, New Mexico is a very violent place. Mm -hmm. And I have had police officers and sergeants look me in the eye and say, yes, these are class B felonies, but they don't rise to the level of gun in the face crimes. Right. We will get around to it and we will do something about it. And we are. And the evidence you put together is very helpful. Um, but nothing can be done until they issue an arrest warrant. And right now, just I actually have um, a show out this week, too, about Chicago and the violence that's there and, you know, how basically government and community need to come together. Changes have to happen because the violence is on the increase and um, the distrust of police, of course. And then, the, you know, the, there's so much problems out there that there are, you know, there are so many crimes what they call petty crimes or not such important crimes because they don't risk someone's life then you know i'm sorry the fan right. <laughs> is an attempted you know um but until somebody's actually maimed you know they 
they've got their hands full and this is that means all of these criminals can just get away with anything because it's like i don't know they're too busy to come after me well and so that's certainly true with white collar crime and um you know the uh the law enforcement agencies the district attorney a couple of years ago had to dismiss 400 violent felonies because they had missed uh, deadlines for various oh actions. Oh my God, can you imagine the victims court. of that? Can you imagine? Oh, the victim that's, yes. you know, being victimized all over again, knowing the person that's done this violent crime to you is still out there right. and got away with it and now cockily can think that they can continue. It's right. horrific. And so when you put what happened to me and those felonies right. side by side, yeah. you know, people look at you like, you know, take take a number because we're going to get to you at some point here, pal. But, you know, we've we've got guys waving guns uh, on the street. And unlike Chicago, um, Chicago, most of the gun violence is in the minority community. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's it tends to be gang related in Albuquerque. It's not only gang related, it's drug related. Right. And and we have a huge traffic flow of uh, illegal drugs from Mexico that come through Albuquerque and further south. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's that just compounds the problem. Right. Because there are people outside of um, the typical uh, gang and minority communities who get involved in this as victims. And uh, so it's 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 nasty business. There's no two ways about it. You know, but, we, we're not at a, a war right now until they decide to go to another one or create another one. We have a lot of people that are in the armed forces. Uh, why can't they not be recruited to help the police force and, and things like this, right? So, well, <laughs> <laughs> as you know, I do two political opinion shows on the local NPR, National Public Radio affiliate. And uh, we talk about this kind of thing. Uh, when you say that kind of thing as an American, you're branded as a racist fascist. And uh, the truth well, of the why matter a racist is, fascist for just wanting to help law enforcement catch the criminals, especially the drug ad, drug lords? Yeah. Well, it doesn't mean there's any truth to it, but it is uh, what you get branded as. So, uh, well, you know what? Branding changes all the time. And the more the facts are out there in people's face, the more, you know, that things have to change. And, you know, one of the things is we've become too scared to talk about things. A, political correctness. Um, B, we don't want to offend the criminals. You know, they may, may come after us. We don't want to offend the politicians that have been paid by the criminals, you know, and everything has just become too sensitive. The sensitivity is the crime is out there and we've got to do something about it. And that means the community has got to stand up and say, no more BS. Let well, us come together and do something about it. And not, sure, I'm not talking about, you know, um, vigilantism. I'm talking about as a community, all forces coming together to look at how to resolve the issue and not just leaving it in the hands of one. Well, and so in Portland last year, you know, the question was why aren't federal uh, law enforcement people being brought out? And it's, it has to do with how the United States developed between the rights that the states have and the rights that the federal government has. And unfortunately, in that federalist system, uh, the, the national government has very limited authority to do things in this particular arena. 
and I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to try to mm. explain that any further other than to say, as logical as that sounds, and as much as I would champion that in situations where people are just running wild and burning places mm -hmm. and killing people, um, you know, uh, it, it would take a, a lot of effort and it would be, there would be a lot of pushback in this country. Mm. Um, but, you know, on this yeah, you point, know, it, 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 this is something, you know, as, as a Canadian or as a British woman, there seems to be more rights over having a gun and letting people with AK-7s go out and kill each other. Or as some, as he was saying in the, the Chicago show, they order different parts of a gun to repair their guns and right. they create a gun. Right. And there is more defense over that than there is actually over the killings. And I just I don't you know, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I just well, why isn't this a national pandemic crisis that you're dealing with? Well, and, and more guns in the United States than there are citizens. Yes. So, you know. Yes. But uh, well, look, when I was in I lived in Australia for four years, I was uh, in the marketing department of MasterCard. And, uh, you know, the Aussies famously outlawed guns. Yes. But it turns out not 100%. Right. So handguns, sidearms are completely outlawed. Only police and military can have those weapons. However, every man and woman over the age of 21 is allowed one rifle and one shotgun. So they still hunt. They, mm -hmm. they hunt game mm -hmm. and birds. And uh, so... It's not as if there aren't guns in Australia, but the truth of the matter is there are not handguns. Right. And uh, that's that would be a big step, I think. In the or or AK-7s are getting in the wrong hands. You well, know. right. And but if you take a look at the total number of murders committed annually, by far it's by handguns. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, you know, it's we have a pandemic an epidemic of of fear but also a lack of self-respect self-value a value of life in other words we have an enormous amount of people with a, a certain degree of narcissism out there because to be narcissistic means that you don't have any compassion for anyone else and right. if you can whether you're in a gang they look to me the wrong way Pow! you know and that that means you have no self-confidence you have no self-value. You don't right. have any value over life. You are so scared shitless that you prefer to kill someone than face what the problem is. So basically a bunch of cowards. <laughs> I'm <Well>, sorry. <laughs> narcissistic cowards. No, narcissistic and, cowards, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and that's oh, and, I, and I have a that presupposes there was even a problem in the first place. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, right. I have a, a series called the Forgotten Children series, and it and it goes right back to literally a child even before they're born um you know the the lack of support for parents you not only to provide their children but to to raise their children you know you know uh, gun torn gang torn just people trying to do the best thing or too many single parents you know deadbeat dads etc um also deadbeat mums there's those out there too and we, what we need to do is switch it right back and look at because we're very good at band-aiding things, but we're never good at looking at what is the root cause. And the root cause is the children. And if we could raise that children with compassion, with empathy, with caring, with being a part of the community, with having some value, 
not only over life, but planet, the food they eat, the, you know, the, uh, consideration and kindness towards one another, they would end up growing up to be a more secure and happy in adults. And we would see less of the violence, but we constantly just, you have public, um, and we're getting really off topic here, but you have public um, uh, incarcerations and that's all, it's kind of like manufacturing you know the 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 prisoners that throw them in there there isn't much rehabilitation going on it's just pack them in because they make money out of it 70 percent of the people incarcerated were foster children right and what does that say about the problem so you know when we're when we're looking at the problem let's look right down to the second when somebody falls pregnant how are we going to help them be the best parents they can be so that child has a chance and we're well, not we're not paying attention to that. And as I said, Kelly, so this woman I married, whose name is Kelly, um, was adopted at mm. about six months old, and uh, her parents thought they were not going to be able to have uh, children naturally. Mm -hmm. uh, and about a year later, did mm -hmm. and could not help, I think, but show a preference right. for the son that they'd had naturally. Although they were certainly indulgent of her. Um, when she turned 16, her father bought her a pink Mustang car. Uh, he gave her uh, horse riding lessons. Um, the brother was very smart, but not beautiful. Right. Uh, but the mother um, taught her how to uh, do her own makeup and all that kind of good stuff. One thing she did tell me, and I think her mother must have realized what she was dealing with, when she began uh, puberty, her mother put her on birth control. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I because suspect. I mean, some people, you know, kind of exude the sensuality, you know, sexuality, because there's a sensuality, which is the sense of life, you right. know, just the beautiful tapped into all the senses of life. And, it, and it's beyond sex, although it can be very sexual. But there, there's some people that exude very early sexuality and it's in their chemistry. It's it's, you know, well, their, their presence. And she told me that from a young age she knew that men looked at her differently mm. than they did other little girls. Right. So she knew how to manipulate that. She well, realized she, she could get things that she way. She was getting a signal that she thought, hmm, yeah. maybe I can do something with yes. that. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, you know, it's, we look at the problem today and, you know, what is the answer? You, you incarcerate her, you're saving the other victims out there. She won't change because it still will be everybody else's fault and she'll just end up manipulating the people in there right um but what you are doing is saving other people from becoming victims and you right. know what we're doing today is we're hoping men or women because this happens to women as well mostly to men though um is do your background check ask more questions you know don't get be honest with, with yourself your, be honest with yourself and yeah when somebody comes on to you that is highly sexual and oh god they're looking at me oh, you know it's like don't get driven with that part of your body um and if you're noticing that you really have a high with this person and then there's a low no, you don't want that. Although it's exciting to have a nice wave, you do not want those extremes because now it's become a narcotic to you. You have become well, an addict. So the question is, when you're in emotional free fall, mm. how do you find the branch to reach right. out? Right, right. And so for a while there, I was really in emotional free fall with this right. woman. And, um, and just, you know, I mean, here she is blatantly having, uh, it was funny, 
uh, when I got the house back, I went to inspect some other damage that had occurred in the house. Like I say, the toilet. Mm-hmm. And my neighbor came over and she said, uh, are you the husband? And I said, well, I'm the ex-husband, but I'm the owner of the house. And she said, well, I'm confused because there's been another man living here for several months. And, you know, I didn't think it was on the up and up because he'd always park his car on the opposite side of the street, about three houses down. Mm-hmm. And if it was on the up and up, he would have parked his car in the driveway. Right. And I said, that's very observant, Marie. Mm-hmm. That's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. And uh, so at any rate, but uh, I did say, listen to your neighbors, listen to other people's observation, listen to your friends. Right. Right. Because they see things that you don't because you're too trapped into it. Well, my two best friends, when she was, when we were dating, called her my uh, cock teasing, gold digging girlfriend. And then then after we got (laughs) married, they called my cock teasing, gold digging wife. Right. And, uh, and what did they say when you, when you, you know, got divorced? They said, why didn't you listen to us? Right. We've been telling you, dude. Yeah. And you know, I um, bought this house shortly after we got married, the one in Albuquerque. And uh, she said, when are you going to put my name on the deed? Now she hadn't put any money toward this house. Right. And I said, well, you know, I'll talk to a lawyer. We'll get a ticket. No. Why are you dragging your feet? I said, I'm not dragging my feet. I'm going to do it as quickly as we can do it. So I closed down the house on the Friday and the following Wednesday, her name was on the deed. And I said to her, I just gave you a half million dollar gift. So you need to appreciate that. Right. And well, you know, I said, no, it's a sign of good faith. I'm, I, I want to see your good faith. And uh, a couple of weeks after that, the good faith was move her boyfriend in. So but I wanted to say people can check out some of this on my website, yeah. which is Bill Saubert, that's B-I-L-L-S-A-U-B-E-R-T dot com. And uh, you can get hard copy or Kindle ebook version of The Girl with the Green Lipstick on, uh, on the Amazon Kindle platform. And uh, your forum show is on there as well, right? It is. Right. So there are about seven and a half years of weekly podcasts from uh, my political opinion show that you can access through my website. Right. And, you know, uh, uh, yeah, it's unfortunately, as I said, uh, you know, it, it's an it's a story that we don't hear enough about, although we know that goes on because most men end up being too embarrassed to say it. And I, I was, was. Ta- and and I was, was embarrassed you know, to, I mean, that's why I didn't uh, listen to my friends, my best right, friends. Right. These are guys I've known since I was 15 years old. Yeah. And uh, because truthfully, I, I didn't want to own up to the fact right. that I was being such, you know, such a patsy. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, we all make mistakes. We all make bad choices along the line. And, and you know, thank God you, you listened you listen to the counselor and you didn't try and rationalize. Oh, no, they're just doing this because. And you listen well, you to. You understand. Your, Maybe yeah. I didn't explain it enough. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. You Instead listen. Instead of going, holy yeah. cow, you're right. Right. And, you know, um, getting your, you know, um, your other lawyers to do the background check. And, you know, all of this is, you know, it's like, oh, my God, I, I've been conned. I've been a fool. And instead of 
hiding from it. I'm going to own it and I'm going yeah. to share it. I've got to own this. Yeah, to, to help other people own it to or also recognize it when it's happening to them. And, uh, you know, it's sometimes just people have got you under a spell and it doesn't matter what anybody else says. You're not going to you're not going to hear it or do anything with it. The other thing is um, for the people who are friends and knowing that somebody's going through this, uh, if if they're not willing to talk to you, just say, look, here's the book, mate. Yeah, right. Let's hear the book. Is there yeah, anything? Yeah. Is there anything in this book that you kind of, you know, feel might be happening to you? Read the book, and you know, I found it very interesting. And then let's talk about it. Well, right? do that, and also, if you don't want to read my book, read this guy Tudor's book, and start with Evil, yeah. and it will, you know, if anything there resonates, then you know you're in a bad spot. And, and for a narcissist to actually write this down isn't so much a repenting. It's just like, look how clever I am. Yeah, <laughs> Why right. I get away with it, I mean, right? They're doing it for their own favorite glory anyway. Is, <laughs> this is not therapy for this guy. No. This is cool for this guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, he's getting some of out, out of the fact that he's getting recognition because he's so good at being bad. Yeah. And, you know, folks, I did do this show on narcissism. All you have to do is selfdiscoverymedia.com and put in the search engine narcissism uh, or narcissistic, the search about psychopath. We do a whole three series. It was an eye opener for me. And, oh, yeah. it, and it really then became also, uh, um, you know, signs to recognize. And that doesn't mean somebody's self-confident or somebody's self-assured that they're the narcissist, but look at how they treat other people. That is the indicator. They may be all smooth and everything over you, but how do they treat other people? And, you know, pay attention to those signs. Don't write oh, them off straight away. I mean, Have a look at it though and pay attention. You know, the, I mean, we had these renovations done to the house. She just trashed those guts mm -hmm. uh, for, for everything under the sun. Right. The realtor who helped us buy the house, she trashed her. I mean, she, there were people who would say to me, I don't know, I don't want to speak to her again. Right. Because, you know, she, I mean, she, I, she had to have a car repaired and said, uh, you must know the best car repair guy. I said, well, I don't know if he's the best, but I like his work. She trashed him. Right, I mean, of course. You know, well, listen, it's everybody else is out to get everybody else is wrong. Everybody else is inadequate. Only yeah. they, and only course, they are you know, best. You're the guy that introduced her to them. So therefore, and, mm -hmm. and they look at you. I mean, after I divorced her, long after I divorced her, I had to have some car repair work done on my own vehicle. And I had to promise the guy that he would never be in contact with her. I said, you won't. I divorced her. She's gone. You know, right. please yeah. fix my car. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you do have to build some bridges after something like this has happened. You know, own up to it. I was a fool. I am sorry. And I'm sorry for anything that she did to you. I just didn't see it in time. And, you know, that kind of, it wasn't your fault per se. It was her doing, but the fact that you didn't see it, you know, is always something that kind of comes back on it. But to actually own up afterwards and say, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't see it. I have now. She's gone. My apologies. It just helps other people kind of bring those, build, oh. you know, build those bridges again. Well, here's the other part. So the realtor, okay. So I, I get the house back. I force her out of the house. She knows that's going to happen. And on a certain day, she calls the realtor, whom she's trashed to her face, and says, can you give me a referral in this community that I'm thinking of moving to? Uh, the realtor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, they don't get it. Uh -uh. They don't get it. They don't. 
They don't you know, because there's no ownership of what they've done. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I uh, I was in a traffic accident in New York City when I lived there one time. And uh, the, the other driver who was at fault got out and started absolutely cursing at me for having caused this accident. And I thought, so, you know, I very calmly, I had a, a notebook with me and I was writing down where it occurred and what kind of car he was in, what his license plate was. He stops through this cursing, calling me the foulest things on the planet and says, give me a piece of paper. And I said, go to hell. <laughs> you yeah. just called me every name in the book. Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you now want a piece of paper? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was Kelly. I mean, mm. you know, Kelly could be giving you a tirade. And if and if you were having a, a, a soda or you went to get a glass of water and she wanted one, she poof, give me a glass of water. You're like, are you nuts? <laughs> Look what you were just doing. <laughs> yeah. 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 And unfortunately, there is, you know, I I don't know what you're talking about. You know, um, he was filmed. He was he was recorded. That's not me. Right. And that there is no accountability, there is no ownership. They just don't see what you're seeing. Right. And you know, and, and we, in a lot of ways, we have to feel sorry for them because they're never going to really understand true love, love of self, real love, real companionship, the real beautiful gift of giving and sharing and kindness. They're never going to know it. Because, because for them, I mean, it's, it's all about a means to an end for them. What can I get from you? I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be sexy. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. And when I've got it from you, then you can go to hell. Right. I don't need you any longer. What are you hanging around for? Right. Exactly. So. Exactly. Men, beware. Women, beware. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, it definitely happens in cases like you, but it happens in business. It happens everywhere. Oh, yeah. And it's like, be strong enough in your own self-esteem, in your own self-worth, not to let these people ni- manipulate you. Because if Just they be can't manipulate it, they've moved on. If right. they can't manipulate you, they're not interested because they I they're can't get any fuel. No, they're going to go after people who are vulnerable. Who give them fuel. Yes. If they can manipulate them, yeah. that's getting something out of you that you wouldn't voluntarily give. Right. And so that's fuel for them. That's good. They're manipulating you. Yeah. They're getting something. Yes. That you wouldn't have otherwise given them. If you start refusing to give that to them, they move on. Yes, exactly. Please move on. And you know, you know that, you that sugar high in. that you have, right? But that well, sugar high is, is not worth the lows. It's not. Well, you find that out in retrospect. Right. But when you're in the free fall, yes. you know, it just feels like I don't know where to grab onto because yeah. nothing really seems like it's going to help. Right. No. And it's it's a hard one to to be, and a lot of people have gone through it. But you know, we've we've there are movies on on women like this and and uh, and it is mostly women who are very i mean there's a lot of narcissistic men there's absolutely they're great manipulators but you know women are very very good at doing this to people who you've had a loss you're looking for a new love they're just no right and uh, it's uh it's just the way it is and we've just got to read the signs so please folks if you know somebody that's been going through this send them the shows and you know send them the book uh, the reason we do this, he's been open and honest about his own 
foolhardiness of buying into this um you know the addiction that he had to this woman but seven months from beginning to end she was gone so he woke up and he listened to other people eventually and you want whoever is going through it to listen and so if they're not willing to listen to you right now maybe they'll listen to bill or maybe the book um but at least put it in front of them at least put it in front of them because at some point well oh, i'll just have a look and all they need is maybe one or two sentences ago. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as you, as soon as you uh, can relate to anything yeah. that's in that book, it's yeah. time to say, I got to move on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you for having the courage for sharing. You know, it takes no, a lot, a lot, a lot of men wouldn't. They wouldn't. Letting <laughs> me share this with you and your audience. And uh, I, uh, it felt uh, good for me personally, emotionally to do it. Um, I think it, also brought me back to centering around being completely personally honest yeah. and having to tell the story that happened. And uh, it's a cautionary tale. Mm -hmm. uh, and I encourage others to be, look, I mean, I'm, I'm, I hope to find a partner, a mate, uh, maybe another wife, although that would be number four, but uh, <laughs> uh, at any rate, uh, but I haven't despaired. I mean, I right. believe that there are good relationships out there and uh i have to be for me more cautious about, yes. about finding them right but at least um i want people to know that if this happens to you you don't bury yourself someplace right. and say i'm done yeah uh you really have to keep going on yeah and uh i've got great friends and great relationships great communities that i am involved with and uh you have to tap into that and, and, uh, and, and just, uh, keep on with your life. Exactly. And, uh, you know, that's, I think that's, it, it, it felt deep and dark when I finalized the divorce with this woman. Um, but I, I saw the light at the end of the tunnel and began yeah. to realize, you know, there's, there's good that's going to come out of this at some point. And, and I'm glad that you're glad that you weren't in it for so long, because if you'd stayed in it longer, you would have been so beaten down oh, yeah. that, you know, you just you, you wouldn't have been able to see the solution. And that's why, you know, so many people, you know, just, you know, and you know what else I have to say that having gone through some therapy earlier. Mm, yeah, um, you knew the I, value of I it. at least bought into the notion yeah. that therapy could have value. Yeah. And so when this therapist was strong enough and brave enough to say on our first session, having yeah. just met me, you know, you need to get out of this right away. Um, I at least had fertile ground to say, I get that. Right. And, right. and I, I know you are saying this professionally and to give me, you know, guidance yeah. here because I have lacked guidance. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, mine would never go to therapy. So yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for being brave uh, and honest and open. And, and I hope that this show and this book certainly helps somebody else that's kind of on that path. Um, you know, don't beat yourself up for being caught up in it. They are master manipulators, but recognize that you're in it or you know somebody like that and get the hell out of there. The best Absolutely. way that you can get the hell out of there. Advise them they look. I don't have a dog in this fight, right. except for you. You're my friend. You need to do this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
well, I'm glad you've also written it as a thriller. You know, you've taken all the facts and thrillerized it, and that kind of makes it more enticing reading for people as well, right? It, it does. It's not for everybody, but right. uh, it's uh, it's a thriller. I promise you that. Right. And, you know, why are we drawn to movies like this and, you know, in shows like this? Because it's like, oh, my God, you know, I had a close call on that. Oh, that person was like that. And we can all relate in some way or other. Oh, and, we empathize. You know, Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And and if you haven't even if you haven't had it even to an extreme degree, you may have experienced even a, a, a modest level. Right. And uh, and you go, oh my god, you know. Yeah. So I do help. I do hope that what I've written helps people and that they enjoy reading about what happened to me and how I managed to get out of that. Uh, but uh, it's uh, it's a uh, it's a ripper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Christmas is coming up, folks. You know somebody who's going through something, or even somebody that is starting the dating scene. Yeah. This is a book for them and go, you know what? This might be faction. Um, yeah. But you know, it is it's also a good manual. <laughs> I don't know what what not to get into. So oh, you know, is. yeah. No two ways so, about it. Yeah, and, and there's uh, different ways. And as you said, that the there, there's good online, you know, sites, but it, it also comes into um take it slow i mean you knew her for a long time before you even got involved with her so you know it's like some of them are very patient in their manipulation right oh, oh, i you... think she was having other relationships yeah exactly it just kind of kept me on the string yeah yeah and uh you know I, I mean i i know of a couple that she had kind of owned up to and uh i finally said look i don't care about the past i care about the future let's draw a line in the sand step mm. over it and that's what we'll care about yeah but you said, see, okay. you were being rational, and she doesn't understand the world. No, she doesn't have any of that. <laughs> no. She still had this boyfriend. When when the ghost, and where, I wonder where he is now. Oh, he probably still lives in Albuquerque. Right. He right. did well, not you know, go with her to where she moved. I know that. All right. Well, you know the fact that he put that fan in with intention to cause a fire. That's intent. So he's just as much on the hook there. So, yeah, I mean, we watch these movies, we think, oh, no, it can't be real. I promise you, the sum of the reality is even more so than what we see on TV. People would say to me when I was about three layers into this story, just telling them verbally, you're making this up. Right, exactly. And I'd say, nope. I wish. <laughs> Truth <laughs> is stranger than fiction. It is. It is. Yes. <laughs> But you're free now and I open am. to true love, honest love. And you haven't let have it jaded you. you. A, a funny thing, Sarah. Uh, I'm going to meet somebody for a drink this evening. I did another podcast and um, it got put up on this <coughs> blog person's site. And one of their subscribers listened to our interview. Turns out her company is having an offsite in Santa Fe this week. She's ah. here. So she called this woman who uh, or texted her and said, do you think this guy would mind uh, just meeting? He sounds interesting. So if we're going to have a drink tonight, how's that? But she's listened to the story. She knows the background and she also knows what you're going to be looking out for. So, yeah, it's a, I'd love to know what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know. I have your email. <laughs> good, good. Well, thank you so much. You know, as Thanks I said, very brave for, for sharing it. Um, you know, cautionary tale for everyone out there. And the more we know, the more we can defend ourselves, the more we can depower them and empower ourselves. And, you know, also to understand for a narcissist like that, 
they really cannot help who they are. But what we can do is not feed their own addiction to their own power. So right. set yourself free, be you, be love, and come from that loving place, starting with the love of self. So until next time, folks, bye for now. We hope that you enjoyed the show. You will hear many, many shows here at selfdiscoverymedia.com. We have new shows for you out every week. Just find them on our podcast or, or what's new. If you feel that you have something to share that makes a difference in the lives of others, or you too feel that you could be a host, please contact me at info at selfdiscoverymedia.com and we will be glad to speak with you. Have a wonderful day.